0: Uh, you know what it means if I'm staring at the camera like a freak, and that is what we're about to do response video. Welcome to The found Cause, where we found our cause in several Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. We're about to dive into a response video, this time on a smaller channel named gospel simplicity gospel simplicity i'm crediting sebastian for this one because he's the one that went out and found gospel simplicity they're of course not as small as us our tiny little channel but we like to do response videos every once in a while every other week usually uh, because we want to engage with what people are actually thinking about and not just our theoretical pet projects so this one will be we were looking for people to react to for eastern orthodoxy but we'll say um, it's not as hard to find reactions to eastern orthodoxy as it is for like um, Hinduism, or something like that, where everything is in Hindi, or they're not really debating. There are some debaters out of Eastern Orthodoxy, so credit to them mm-hmm. there, but it's not as easy as finding a Catholic or an atheist or even a Muslim to respond to. So we're thankful that Gospel Simplicity has done all these interviews. However, uh, first take is that much like we reacted to um, what's the guy's name? Cameron. Cameron Bertolzi. I'm forgetting how to say his name. Sorry, I've had it in front of me. I'm sure I could. Um, capturing Christianity guy, just like reacted to him talking with a Roman Catholic and being all buddy-buddy and not proving out the fact that Roman Catholics have a false gospel, so too have to point where it's due here. Um, Gospel simplicity, he is not doing justice to the fact that Eastern Orthodoxy is just as evil of a trap as Roman Catholicism. It's not a very popular thing to say these days because um, we want unity in the political movement of the church, right? And there's so many people attacking Christianity and belief in general that we'd like to make as many allies as we can. I totally understand that. And I totally understand how, why, how and why the conservative movement of the church has been um, much more cozy with hardcore Roman Catholics and hardcore believing Eastern Orthodox, as opposed to the unbelieving masses that are also in Eastern Orthodoxy and in Catholicism. I understand why they're like those people believe what they believe, and they will defend the existence of God strongly. So we want to team up with them. However, so would a hardcore Muslim defend God, right? So don't be deceived just because somebody is very not secular, right? Just because they hate secularism does not mean that they are our ally, and just because they call themselves Christians doesn't mean they're our ally either. We've said this before because we've talked about Eastern Orthodoxy about the reason we reject Eastern Orthodox churches as Christian churches, they were at one point just like Roman Catholics, but when they rejected salvation by faith alone, they officially capped the gospel from being preached in Eastern Orthodox churches. It could be Serbian, it could be Russian, it could be Greek, it could be Egyptian, Coptic, um, wherever wherever your Eastern church is. If it rejects salvation by faith alone, if it rejects um, Jesus's full payment for sin on the cross, then it is evil. It's a f- false gospel and that is not safe. Do you have any um, insight, Sebastian, because your...
1: Sebastian is much more well-read on Eastern churches than me. Yes, I have a particular interest. I think it's fascinating. I would have been... I was going to say a happy member. I would have been a member. I'm going to take out the word happy. Of the Eastern Orthodox Church before the Synod of Jerusalem in 1672. That's when they officially said we reject salvation by grace alone by faith alone and we reject predestination that god elects his people yeah so before then they didn't have any significant no,
0: they had ups and downs and of course local churches in eastern orthodoxy would have been dead and some of them alive just like there are in protestantism right there's plenty of disgusting despicable non-gospel preaching god, uh-huh. uh, protestant churches it's just the protestant church is so decentralized that you can't point to all of the protestant church and say it's evil unless you're a um uh, church Nazi, like the Catholics are, and like the Eastern Orthodox are that say that if you're not part of our church body, then you are not saved. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you said, Eastern Orthodox church used to be more free reign. And so it was possible that local congregations were Christian, but as soon as they clamped down and said that in 1672, um, we would say as a church official, they are no longer Christian. So are there potentially specific Eastern Orthodox practitioners that have been saved and have the real gospel? Yeah, I'll allow it just like for Roman Catholics, but as a church, they are not. So should we encourage people to go to those churches? Are they better than nothing? I would disagree. They're not better than nothing. Well, they're, I guess they're better than atheism, but we don't go for subpar things here. We'd like everybody to know the real gospel, because if you know a close but no cigar gospel that doesn't actually save you, well,
1: you're still lost to your sin. Mm -hmm. In the same, on the note of being lost, Just as a preface, it is very similar. People get confused. You know, are they really the same thing? Roman Catholics and the Orthodox Church are they the same? They are very similar, but they have key distinctions. And just to touch on a few, you know, they don't believe in purgatory. For example, they don't say that Virgin Mary was uh, assumed bodily into heaven. And they also would say the way you're saved is a little bit different. It's still, in a fancy term, synergism. That you cooperate with god in your salvation so it's not again by grace alone through faith alone you are hand in hand with god working your salvation the catholics say just just you know for to make sure where we're here as before we get to the video the catholics say you come to the mass the sacrifice the unbloody sacrifice is represented again in the in the bread and the wine and then that atones that heals you from your sins mm-hmm. takes away your sins same also with confession, the priest absolves you, all of that. Very repetitive, repetitive. Likewise, the Orthodox is, salvation is repetitive, but rather than being a either saved at baptism or at a pre- specific moment in time, more like Catholicism, it's more like a cycle. You go to church, you are an Eastern Orthodox, you are part of the body of the church, and throughout your life, by being part of the church, not leaving it, by being part of it, that's how you're saved. So again, it's yeah. synergistic, but it's just salvation. It's as, as we talked about in our previous dedicated episode to Eastern Orthodoxy. You can watch that for more details. This is very slow, and they join sanctification and salvation, which is not good.
0: Yep. And uh, without further ado, we'll get into this video, but just that's our basis for saying that this is the wrong approach to take with a non-Christian in your midst. So I'm sure Gospel Simplicity would think that the Eastern Orthodox guy is a brother. I know it. I mean, from his videos, he's all Mm -hmm. about church unity across these lines. It is a very dangerous position. Um, So Gospel Simplicity, if you're listening to this, I don't know your salvation um, itself, but I'm saying you're not you're not preaching a good message by this kind of thing. You should, and I, trust me, we've done, um, we, the Found Cause, not Sebastian, but me and Theodore had episode with a total non-Christian guy before, and I think when we were in an interview setting, I was much nicer because that's just naturally how you are, right? You're not gonna, you're not usually equipped to just call somebody out and beat them up, especially when they've agreed to come on your show. So I totally understand when it will be a nice, cordial host. But when you have a snake in the midst, you really should question him. So we did it a little bit with that guy. I kind of regret doing that interview so softly. It's still up in the channel, so not so much that I'd take it off. But... Um, I understand wanting to be a gracious host, but I do think you should not let an an interview go like this, where you don't call out the problems and give Mm -hmm. this guy counterpoints to have to deal with because Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, whatever Orthodox don't usually engage in scholarly debate. And there's good reason because they stink at it. And, and, It doesn't necessarily show that Eastern Orthodoxy is a terrible belief just because they stink at debate. It just shows that they don't debate a lot. Same with the Muslims. I think Muslim positions could be more defensible. They just typically are defended by people who aren't used to debate, and so they come up with terrible debate tactics. They're getting better because now they're engaging more in debate, and so equally with Eastern Orthodox, if they come to the table and start debating, maybe they'll get better. But in any case, they're really bad debaters now. Shouldn't let them get away with um, terrible defenses of their doctrine that have been um, thoroughly destroyed uh, in, in past years so without further ado let's respond
2: like me to say anything about sola scriptura
0: if you'd like yeah you you mentioned i think it's the heresy that begets the other protestant heresies if i'm that might be a slight misquote but yeah maybe uh speak on that for a second
2: you know i think most protestants who enthusiastically champion sola scriptura are doing it are doing it from piety what they're trying to say is that these words are from God and we trust them 100%. Uh, that is, in fact, not what sola scriptura mean.
0: So he says that, so th- and this is something you hear the Roman Catholics say before that oh we all believe in the bible yes i know you believe in the bible that's why you're a christian hopefully you would unless we, we've got different problems if you don't but um he is i think accurately describing the difference here and that is that yes we all say we believe in the bible so when protestants say sola scriptura that doesn't sola scriptura doesn't mean we believe the bible it does include that but it actually means and he describes this too that we only make definitive doc- dogma and doctrine off of the bible mm-hmm. nothing else can define dogma Whereas he will say that um, the church, the church, the tradition defines dogma and the Bible, right? And that's an extremely dangerous position. I'll let him talk more on this, but this is um, something the Roman Catholics do. And I think uh, they have a stronger position. I disagree with it. And I think we can debunk that one too. It has been fought well. But the Roman Catholics say, not only is it tradition from the, you know, the original church, whatever, but also even if it wasn't, I'm the Pope and I say so. So this is the new tradition of the church and God has infused the church with authority to just proclaim new dogma. Um, the Eastern Orthodox don't go that far. So they have to, if they want to be consistent, have to claim that everything was, every tradition they have was originally spoken by the apostles. Um, otherwise they are co-opting the Roman Catholic
1: dogma from the church thing, which they don't. Mm-hmm. Let me clarify something because this might be important and might come up too, even even if he hasn't necessarily bring it up. For Catholics, there's tradition, scripture, two things side by side, okay. For the Orthodox, this is at least the picture that I've been getting: tradition, Bible. Bible is in that in there inside. Yep. So Bible is part of tradition. Hence, why you can just they can justify, in their mind, of course, that. The way we pray, the way we do liturgy, the way we do hesychasm meditation is also as important as tradition because it is tradition because the Bible is tradition. That's what they would say, just to clarify.
0: Well, and think about some of the things that they hold so dear. I don't have any problem with like he's going to mention later on this video, so we'll let him get to it, but but uh, tripart baptism. You know, baptizing people three times in the name of the father the son of the holy spirit usually in the protestant church you baptize you dunk once and you say in the name of the father the son of the holy spirit as you dunk once um, okay i don't care if you do tripart. like that's not the reason that the church has split and nor is that a particularly important like i'd take up that tradition if you want and i i wouldn't call it holy tradition i just think it's a tradition and it makes sense so whatever we can do that right so he's going to mention things like that as if tradition was innocuous but the problem is it's not the innocuous traditions. It's um, if, if you hold innocuous traditions as dogma, I have a problem with that because you're just needlessly adding things to salvation. You're like the Pharisees. I mean, just like the Pharisees. The big problem I have with the Roman Catholics, same with the Eastern Orthodox, is that they're just like the Pharisees and that they add human tradition as godly commands. And so they'll say, you have to dunk three times for a proper baptism, which is not, not found in scripture. So I say, I would allow for churches that don't do that. I mean, my church doesn't do that, so I'd allow for my church not mm-hmm. to do that. I don't have a problem with you doing it, but it's not a, a God command that you do it that way. And they would turn around and say, no, it's holy tradition and you must. And if you don't do that way, you're cut off in the church, it's not real baptism. So that's where I have a problem with it. But moreover, the the kind of traditions they use to that they defend tradition with um, using the moniker, this is oral tradition, are things like uh, total heretical um worshipping of icons right oh oh yeah. this is tradition this has always been the way we've done it clearly it's not just historically it is not what christians have always done but secondly it's idolatry You're sitting there worshiping I- icons and now i understand the full debate between whether that's idolatry or not we've talked about it many times you can
1: see our episode yes. on that on yep. veneration of saints, on a reaction to actually to cameron's conversation with right the catholic friend yep
0: um, so same response I give there, and that is that um, you call it not worship, but clearly it's worship. There's no distinction, so it is worship. You defend that evil atrocity in the church with tradition. So I don't care that you dunk people three times. I do care that you call it dogma, but I really care when you do things that are so viciously offensive to God and the things you deny about the gospel, like the 1627, you said? 72. The council, yes. That council that rejects salvation by faith alone and rejects uh, predestination. Those are clear biblical doctrines that the Orthodox Church rejects in the name of tradition. So just like the Pharisees before them, they add tradition on for salvation, right? And they add tradition on saying it's command of God. And then they don't keep more important commands like salvation by faith alone, like holding to God um, really, right? Really repenting and the actual justification of Jesus Christ. So... Well, let him keep going, but those are our our prefaces for why we disagree with his position and we don't think that um, gospel simplicity should be engaging with a gospel denier like this.
2: Uh, That is the orthodox mind (laughs) and the Catholic mind, uh, as well as the Protestant mind. Uh, No one's questioning the preciousness and the centrality of Holy Scripture. There was a time in the Roman Catholic world where the church discouraged believers from reading the Scriptures. That is
0: true i'd like to say this is a quip against the roman catholics i'm not a roman catholic fan so i agree with him but so did the greek church so did them um, there's like a
1: guess what you know in, better than me Sebastian. But... in russia to this very day chants and sometimes parts of the scripture are read in slavonic which would be the similar to reading to speaking medieval english so like, no, not, not even shakespearean english i'm talking like like <laughs> like norman conquest like you know yep. beowulf <laughs> type of English I'm like I'm sure you can pick out a few words from there but wh- why Why are you doing this is it because it's tradition to do it that way for the last thousand years okay but isn't the point of you preaching to enlighten to teach the congregation so how can you teach people if you're speaking a language that no one speaks anymore mm-hmm. like, you don't even speak that like no one speaks Slavonic like no you don't converse in Slavonic at least Latin you can speak it, you can converse in Latin
0: yes So again, same mistakes made by the Eastern Orthodox Church, kind of a cheap shot. Let him keep going.
2: Uh, And the Protestants are right to criticize that. Although the opposite idea that everyone should read it and think that it's perspicuous, which is a Protestant doctrine. That means that perspicari in Latin means to be able to see through, to be, you know, translucent. The idea that scripture is just going to make itself obvious to people who read it is not the case
0: so uh, perspicuous is not i I disagree with how he's describing it i guess you could describe it that way and i can't speak for all protestant churches because there's so many people speaking on behalf of the protestant church however i would say that the the understanding that I have of the understandableness of scripture is that any believer, however simple, can it can learn the truth of the gospel through reading the scriptures, that it's not so complex that somebody can't and has to go through an interpreter. So that goes, it applies to children. It applies to people with mental disabilities. It applies to women, men, whatever, that the, the Protestant doctrine is that the word of God is plain enough that anybody can understand it enough to hold to God's command and not need an interpreter. So uh-huh. I'm not saying that there won't be disagreements on scripture, and there are, I think, rightful disagreements even amongst my church body, local, right? Um, so I, I, the Protestant doctrine is not that everybody will agree because scripture is so plain. It's that these simple parts of scripture are simple enough for anybody to understand.
1: Mm-hmm. And we have someone who assists us because now we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit aids us in our prayers. He intercedes for us when we can not come up with the right words. And also when we read the word of God, I would say that the Spirit actually is the one who aids us in remembering Scripture yep. and keep it in mind when the time is right. So we're not alone. So it's not just you under a tree. It's actually you, the Holy Spirit, under a tree. Just, just kidding. And again,
0: yeah. the, the doctrine there is not that you, with the Holy Spirit under a tree, understand every nuance. It's only that through the Holy Spirit, even the simplest among us can understand these simple truths of the Bible without a priestly interpreter. Yes, that's and what it
1: is. And I want to quickly mention that I wouldn't be so fast, you know, as an Orthodox person saying, but that creates this unity, yeah, that you forget about the time of iconoclasm, you know, Arianism, or uh, all the old believers. And there's pretty much, you know, like a, a Mennonite. The Monophysites,
0: the Myophysites, all the different splits. The exactly. The
1: Coptic church that split off from the Byzantine church. They Orth- the, There's also nowadays, there's Orthodox people that are pretty much like, you know, Amish, but are Orthodox. Right. Again, they're from the Orthodox church, so... You can't say that it's one, one united, yes. one movement. It's mm, has a wide variety. Same also with people who focus on meditation, people who focus on study of the word of God. Many movements, many shapes and colors and sizes. You can't say it's one monolithic. Humanity
0: movement. is varied, right? So it's not surprising that the Protestant church is a, is a large organism, it's not a single organization. So, of course, it's very varied. And there are Protestant churches that I would say completely abandon the gospel and I would reject them entirely. Just like I would hope that you, as an Eastern Orthodox person, would reject particular sects of Eastern Orthodoxy that reject. Um, there are like secular Eastern Orthodox people, right, from from the old communist days in Russia, that were essentially saying that it's that Jesus Christ never really rose from the dead. Um, we would both sit there and reject those false believers, right? So even though they claim to be Eastern Orthodox, they're not really Christian. So equally, there are Protestants today that are super liberal um, that also reject that Jesus Christ ever raised from the dead, or they endorse homosexuality, or whatever the issue is, and we would also say, yes, I also reject those churches. They're not really. Um, Christians, So they might claim to be Protestant, just like some e- fake Eastern Orthodox people claim to be Eastern Orthodox, but we shouldn't paint traditional conservative Eastern Orthodoxy with its liberal um, fringes. and So equally don't paint conservative Protestantism with its liberal fringes.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so Orthodox Christians are very aware that we need to read scripture, but we need to read it in accordance with the way that the church has understood it.
0: It's It's so Jewish. It's just, it's so pharisaical. It's what Jews do today. So I'm thinking Jewish as opposed to just Pharisees because mm-hmm. Jews today say the same thing. Oh yeah, you can read the Torah, you can read God's Bible mm-hmm. all you want, but you can't actually understand it unless you have the Mishnah, unless you have these huge epics of um, prior tradition. And only really the rabbis can know what a scripture says because they're looking through tradition and they themselves have the authority to add on to tradition, but you little peon can't. So it's just... um Jesus condemns that kind of behavior when he says, you know, rabbis loved uh, to hear that they're called rabbi in the marketplaces and love greeting in the synagogues and all that, but you are not to be called rabbi, teacher, by anyone. You're not to call any other person father. You're not to call anyone instructor because you have one father who's in heaven. You're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You have one instructor the Messiah. So he's talking about the equality of all believers. Yes, we're gifted in different things, and there are people who are gifted more in learning than than others, but there's no special interpreter humans. There's no priest class of believer. All believers are priests. It's the priesthood of all believers. And that is where this Eastern Orthodox priest is also wrong.
2: Sola the scriptura on, in its formal definition is saying that the, the scriptures hold a unique authority and uh, are the only authority to which we can appeal for establishing dogma.
1: And I agree. I think he has an accurate view there. Isn't that what you guys did at the Council of Nicaea? Quoted from the Bible against Arianism? I mean, he quotes, he's, he's saying to his defense, he's saying
0: you can quote from the Bible because it's the central doctrine, but that you can also quote oral tradition. So that's what he's saying.
2: And we would just say that that is nowhere taught uh, in Scripture. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Scripture itself says it's not sola. For instance, St. Paul who was the spiritual father of the church in the city of Thessaloniki, which, by the way, to this day, is a very vibrant church. I mean, I was once, when I was a, a New Orthodox priest, I was...
0: He's going to veer off here, just warning, but <laughs> let me address this point first. He's saying that St. Paul is going to give a, a verse. I know what it is. I've watched this video, but I've also heard it from Roman Catholics before. We'll let him speak it first, but it is a super common phraseology, and I want you to understand that it is very commonly refuted so the fact that the uh, gospel simplicity isn't addressing it and that he himself isn't strongmaning his idea by showing the the attacks against the verse that he's about to talk um, about is showing his weakness i think in debate
2: it's in greece but first this rabbit hole. I was celebrating the liturgy uh, with a very esteemed older priest and we were at uh, one of the ancient churches in thessaloniki and i noticed that the bishop's throne behind the altar that's always on the eastern wall uh what's called the scene throne that's with the altar where the bishop would stand at certain parts like during the gospel reading for instance
1: and i noticed
2: that in that throne it was roped off and it had an icon of saint paul sitting on the on the seat of the throne and i asked him i said why I is
0: just wanted to point out that they've got this little shrine to saint paul sitting on his throne gotta say saint because you know he's not just a regular old brother like the rest of us are saints goodness gracious i really despise some of these little traditions whatever they're not that's not my biggest issue with the eastern orthodox church but so he's seeing some idolatry going on at this place and he's like oh yeah that's what i came to see <laughs> i came to see some idolatry up in this church glad one of the original churches has got some idolatry
2: your your throne your bishop's throne roped off and why is saint paul there he said, oh, our bishop would never sit on that. I said, it's his throne. I mean, what are you talking about? He goes, no, no, that's the rostrum from which Paul preached in downtown Thessaloniki in the first century. Wow, <laughs> 2,000 years later, right, it's it's roped off with his icon on it because uh, And now I understood. Well, no bishop wanted yeah. to stand on it, right uh, I got it. But when, when Paul was, was teaching that, he, he spent months and months and months with that church, teaching them every day. And he wrote to them two letters, which are in the New Testament, right? First and second Thessalonians. And he said in those letters, he said that to stand fast and to hold to the teaching that I delivered to you, either by writing or by word of mouth. So now imagine that you were a a Christian in that church and that St. Paul was your spiritual father. He had baptized you. He had taught you the faith Uh, and he and you had spent a year Every day, listening to his teachings, because he was trying to establish you, he left you two measly letters, (laughs) eight chapters, right? That compared to what you would have heard for a year of daily teaching. Are we supposed to think that the moment he died at the hands of Nero in Rome, all of the Thessalonian Christians said everything he taught us before is now only possible. Uh, The only things we have to obey are the things that are written in the letters,
0: I would like to do a thought experiment myself and wonder what Paul might have been teaching the Thessalonians that he didn't write in their letters. Maybe the rest of the contents of his letters to the other churches? Do you, do you honestly think, bearded man, that the teachings that Paul had to the Thessalonians exceeded what's in scripture? That he was teaching them about tripartite baptism and definitely about icons, he definitely had that in there and he definitely had uh, hesychasm and and all this garbage that you've added to your church today, I think that's a huge stretch considering we do not have any historical precedent for any of those practices happening in the early church. So to think that he deposited some hidden oral tradition that is not found in the Bible today, right? So it's, it's oral tradition that does not consist of any of the teachings in the Bible today, um, but was extra on top of them. And that that's what Paul was writing them to rem- to remind them of. He was reminding them, oh yeah, uh, what I'm remember what I've written to you specifically and then what I've spoken to you I think the, the obvious conclusion and our response to that would be that when Paul says what I've spoken to you, it's just an allusion to, yes, he, he went and spoke to them orally, that we don't have the words exactly what he said to them orally, but it would be consistent with the rest of scripture's teaching. And if it was so important, if, it, if they were in so important points that they needed to be preserved for all time, that he would have written them at least to other churches. But the fact that we don't find them anywhere else, because by nature, things that are not in the Bible aren't in the Bible, because we can't identify them anywhere else, you open up the door. You personally, and the rest of the church, but you, uh, Father Jeremiah, Josiah, sorry, Josiah, you personally are opening up the door to anybody, adding anything to tradition, as long as it doesn't um, compromise the Bible. Of course, your tradition does compromise the Bible, but you would say as long as it doesn't compromise the Bible, potentially it was oral tradition. Even if you've never heard of it, if I came to you and said that um, it's always been the case in the church, it's always been oral tradition that we all um, eat duck for Easter and you got to eat duck for Easter, it's dogma now. And you would be like, oh, I've never heard of that tradition. And I'd say, well, I did. And my, my, the person that taught me, my monk, had heard it from his monk. And his monk heard it from his monk. And all the way down the line. And somebody, Paul probably taught him that you needed to eat duck during Easter to the Thessalonians. And so he says, hold, not only that would have written you, but that what i have told you in person. And so the words that he spoke, this oral tradition, clearly included the duck eating. And if you don't eat duck, well, you're just you're rejecting the teaching of the apostles. How would you ever disprove my claim to apostolic authority? You wouldn't be able to. And you allow tradition to become dogma on a whim just like the jews before you just like the pharisees
1: before you those who jesus called out that's wicked yep and unfortunately what you just described michael is pretty much how new beliefs were added throughout the history of the church not just in eastern orthodoxy means a lot in eastern orthodoxy but also in the roman catholic church like over time you see things just being tagged on pretty much with this rationale and that you can't really Proof? No, you can't disprove. It's just a claim that you're making.
0: And I would think you'd immediately see the folly in that, right? Because how do you defend your traditions when you defend them by saying, "Well, somebody told me, right? It's been the tr- It's always been the view of the church." Well, what what is not always the view of the church? How do you determine what's not from what is? And that's that's why Protestants hold the sola scriptura to close that. Obvious gate, open gate in the attacks on the church's theology, because Jesus warns us against adding tradition to Scripture like that, by by calling out the Pharisees for doing that exact same thing. So it's not that Protestants don't hold traditions. Of course we have traditions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I believe that Luke's Gospel has the um, the descendants, the the genealogy of Mary's fathers up until Joseph, and that Matthew's has Joseph's but that's just a tradition scripture doesn't say that it just says the genealogy of Jesus and both of them differ so that's a church tradition that i believe but i would never make that dogma if somebody wanted to switch it up and say that luke's was actually joseph's and mary's was actually in matthew's i'd be like okay i mean i disagree with that but that's not dogma right but you would make it dogma or you'd make things like that dogma and so it's not that we don't hold tradi- to tradition there's plenty of tradition in the protestant church but we don't make it dogma or we shouldn't
1: or at the always you should do is you should test your traditions your habits what you do as a ritual in church with the bible
0: yes as the bereans did to saint paul um in acts which is where i'm sure you're familiar protestants usually point to for defending sola scriptura is the uh, the commending of the berean church for doing just that testing paul's teaching oral teaching against the written word of god in the old testament That's the old testament mind you So again when paul says to the thessalonians and the only verse you have by the way You you act like it's only one of many But it is the only one that I know that the catholics go to and you go to to show scripture that says the scriptures not enough is that and uh It doesn't prove anything it suggests that he spoke to them things But you have to make the inference that he spoke to them things that aren't in scripture today to say that he's telling them to hold to things that aren't in Scripture today, like your made-up traditions, so I think that is unproven, and therefore you have no proof from the Bible of things that aren't in the Bible. I, you just you hold to things made up by man. It's just like the Pharisees. I can't get over it. But.
1: And you're hoping that these are actual truths. Yes, you're, you're, you're and it's on a thin, on a thin line that you're holding the, to that.
2: Yep. I mean, of course, on its surface, it's just beyond ridiculous. That's just not how it works. There was no one in the church who thought that the apostolic teaching, which is the authority, but which comes in two ways, both through oral instruction and through writing. That...
0: It is literally the exact same argument that Talmudic Jews made and make today about the Talmud, which is anti-gospel, anti-Bible, and Jesus, I'm sure, is equally condemning the current Jews of today that use the same arguments that the Pharisees did back then, as he did the Pharisees, saying they added tradition. Because this the Pharisees, school, the pharisaical school, used the exact same argument about tradition. They would say, yes, we have the Holy Scriptures, which we consider holy. But We also have the teaching of the Pharisees. In fact, the teaching of our fathers, the rabbis. And those men received teaching oral tradition from Moses that isn't written down. If it is important tradition, why wasn't it written down? Mm -hmm. God preserves his word. Oral tradition is not God's word. By definition, it's some word of man. It's oral tradition. And so the teaching of the apostles that is meant to be followed is in the word, in the Bible, here, in the Bible. If you can't find it in the Bible, you cannot... Qualify whether or not it's apostolic teaching, and therefore we should not follow it. God did not preserve it.
2: That's the authority. What you heard from the mouths of the apostles is what's inspired. That's why the Scripture is Scripture, because it actually comes from the mouth of the apostles.
0: <laughs> no, um, I, I disagree with that. So yes, the apostles had particular authority in that they wrote Scripture. However, not every word the apostle said was inspired right? These words that we have in the Bible are the inspired Mm -hmm. word of God. So I agree that these are written by the apostles Mm -hmm. in the Bible and that they're only written by apostles and that those are authoritative words. There's no non-authoritative word in the Bible. However, however, not every single word that an apostle said was inspired. And we affirm that the word of God is the Bible. Every word of Paul is not inspired or the word of God. In fact, he even says in the inspired word, Paul says sections where it's just him speaking. So I think the apostles were able to determine marriage, when they right. were speaking. Yep, when they were speaking um, from their own pulpit, when they are speaking inspired by Scripture. And so too, if they're teaching a church, not every word they say is inspired. Just like every word that a preacher says today is not inspired. However, if it's based in, on the Bible, we believe it to be true. Like when my preacher goes up and preaches and preaches on something that's biblical, I agree with him and I say it's biblical. But it's not the inspired word of God. It's so the same with the
1: apostles. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting wording, and let me let me shed some light here. They also would claim that the orthodox church would claim that they are the ones who produce the bible yeah. that's why hence this this interesting wording mm-hmm. and it's very similar to the catholic claim that only through the church have you had the bible but um, what about the uh, bible that was around the scripture that was around before there were any official patriarchs any councils well i
0: about the old testament how do the Old Testament Jews know what was scripture before? Because Jesus constantly points to them saying, haven't you read? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? Right. So what would they, they, they clearly were supposed to have known what scripture was. And yet no, no council had declared what was scripture. Well, that's because we would say, and this is the assertion that he fails to see that the word of God exists on its own. It doesn't need a churchly stamp to become existent. Right. So if we can, if, if the word of God exists, if he has carried down a tradition in, in verse, um, it is able to be found. And if it's able to be found, we don't actually need the church's approval. Now, I agree that the church um, determined what was God's word for themselves and and rubber-stamped it, right? But I would say that God's word is self attestifying. And so, yes, I agree with the church's assessment on what is God's word, but the church didn't make it so. So equally, when the apostles say the word of God, they don't make it so. The fact that they said it doesn't make it God's word. The fact that it's God's word makes it God's word. So... That's a technicality, mm-hmm. I think, because how do we, how do we know if it's God's word it, unless it comes through an apostle? But there are words from apostles that aren't God's word, so therefore, it's not a categorical only the apostles. Uh, any word from the apostle was authoritative,
1: like Hebrews. We don't know exactly who the author of Hebrews is, a- but exactly. it is the word of God. Right. Let me qual- let me just throw this in, and we will let him keep going. In Second Peter, Peter talks about Paul's letters, like the other scriptures. He says. Second Peter, mm-hmm. he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking this Peter. He writes in the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. He's equating Paul's letters to scriptures also known as the Old Testament.
0: Yes, and so there's Peter claiming to know that Paul's letters are scripture without any counsel proclaiming it. And so, therefore, the church was not needed here, right? It was just it was the self attesting word of God. So, mm-hmm. St. Peter as well. Mm-hmm. We'll let him finish out.
2: This is the orthodox mind. The idea that, that the written portion of the apostolic teaching could be set apart by itself outside of the context of the oral uh, is not feasible.
0: You don't know the oral. You think you claim to know the oral. Nobody knows the oral. And the oral clearly wasn't preserved, or otherwise, it would have been written down, Is hence the nature of uh, writings, right? Writings are oral tradition written down. So if it's not written down, how do we know what the oral tradition is? It doesn't need to be preserved. And so the follow-up on that would be that, and the corollary is, so we see it in scripture, but then that tradition is lived out in the church. It's passed on through apostolic succession or just like the life yes. of the church in general?
2: Okay. Yes, and that doesn't mean everything is apostolic tradition.
0: I'm glad to hear him say it. Clearly, there are things that are traditions that they don't hold to as uh, apostolic traditions. So good. And I don't want to straw man him saying that everything he thinks is tradition that he follows is apostolic tradition, but he has traditions that he claims to be apostolic. Now, we haven't heard it in this video, but I would assume he defends I- icons that way. He, is, he assumes praying to saints that way as all um, tradition, oral apostolic tradition, and we would proclaim those things to be uh, heretical. And blasphemous.
2: Uh Mm -hmm. But there are many things that are. So, for instance, St. Basil the Great in his Famous work on the Holy Spirit.
0: He's about to give examples of completely harmless traditions that I don't do, right? So I I affirm that they that they're not needed. I would say they're not needed for dogma. So I refute the fact that he would call them dogma and that Saint Basil would call them dogma. Um, But they're completely inoffensive. So he says them. I think as like some high five to the Protestants to say, see, these things aren't so bad. So you should come over and do these these little things. While ignoring the huge giant evil things that they also have in that same bucket of come over here. Once you start baptizing tripart baptism oh yeah you're also gonna have to commit um rapid idolatry sorry that was in the contract
1: we're just gonna keep the skeletons yeah, the in closet. the closet
2: yep but he describes aspects of holy apostolic tradition that were never codified in scripture but that the church has never questioned uh one of those
0: but they have okay but they have so they didn't this is these are traditions that weren't that weren't apparent in all the church everywhere um And they are assumed by St. Basil and others who didn't have a broad education past their local congregation or past the churches they had connections with um, that weren't doing these things. And of course, even if it was the... global roman tradition of the time it doesn't mean churches of the east like farther east than the eastern orthodox if you can believe it there were churches that way that weren't doing these things right so we have the teaching of the didache um, that sebastian is a big fan of that is an early church tradition book that says similar things like as we always have done we turn to the east and rebuke the devil in the west and we do the tripart dunking baptism and you fast before baptism it has a lot of traditions that we don't do today that even the eastern orthodox don't do today and that's because the people that wrote it believed their way to have always, you know, the way they were doing things now was always the way that people had done things. Just like people in the backwater church in Alabama believe that people have always read the King James Version. But guess what? Obviously, you can't have always read the King James Version because it wasn't always around. And equally, these traditions were developed. So just because somebody thinks it is the uh, tradition of the church, just because St. Basil thinks it is the always believed tradition of the church doesn't mean it actually is. You mm-hmm. have to do further research than that.
1: Let me give you an embarrass. Let me give no. you an embarrassment. Go now. <laughs> Let me give you an embarrassing church tradition that I think everyone, Catholic, Orthodox, Nestorian, Baptist, and all agree is wrong. Saint Irenaeus, very nice guy, gave me a lot of good stuff against Gnosticism, but he was convinced he could swear in his life that Jesus died. Over the, he was over the age of 50 when he died. He said he got that straight from the apostles, like tradition because he had to live through all the stages of human life in order to fully atone for sin something. Where the heck did that come from? But he, he wrote, I got this yep. from apostolic
0: tradition, which is the problem. You can see, you already see this mindset of reaching back to tradition. Cause it was a, it's a common thing for humans to want to do as the Pharisees did before them, um, to want to reach back in and say, well, yeah, it's not in the Bible, but I believe it. And therefore I need some other authority. Let me reach back to the apostles. So Irenaeus, super close to the apostles already doing it and already wrong. Um, because somehow I doubt that the apostles were teaching that Jesus died at fifty-five, considering he didn't die at fifty-five, and they saw him die. So, don't think that was apostolic tradition. Yet he, yet he claimed it. So it happened really early on in the church. It happens now, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't allow it to happen. It is wrong. Let it be going.
2: This is the making of the sign of the cross. Another one is praying towards the east. Another is baptizing by trying immersion and immersion in the name of the Holy Trinity. So those are three clear aspects of apostolic tradition. that
0: Clear. Uh, They're old, that's for sure. St. Basil's old, and these are traditions that are old, but they're not universal, and they don't go back to the origins of the church. You think they do, and you claim they do, and St. Basil claims they do, but just because St. Basil claims they do and he's earlier than us doesn't mean he's correct. So, again, do I really care about doing the sign of the cross, the tripart baptism, or facing east when you pray? No, I don't do them because they're not dogma, but do I care? Those are innocuous, right? So if you're trying to get a Protestant to come over and you say the only things that are stopping you from becoming an Eastern Orthodox is facing the East when you pray and doing the sign of the cross and all the stuff that, that doesn't really matter, you'd be like, okay, I guess our differences aren't that great. Oh yeah, you also have to reject your entire gospel and you have to do the rampant idolatry and some of the other things that I strongly disagree with the Eastern Orthodox Church doing. Um, he's Again, keeping the skeletons in the closet, I, I don't think it's a very honest way to be engaging with a Protestant on a Protestant podcast.
1: Right. So this will be when Austin, you know, gospel simplicity, he could have done a little bit more pushback. In this back, sense, right.
0: In and this is, sense. this is a clip, by the way, posted by him, but a clip from a much longer interview with uh, Father Josiah Trenham. Trenham, I think I say his name. Um, this is just a clip from it. So he has a much bigger context, about an hour long, mm-hmm. but it's equally as um, hosty. Austin is just hosting him, uh, not challenging him.
2: Are universal and have been done by the church in all places throughout her history
0: you can shout it from the rooftops as much as you want but if you actually dove into the history it's just not true catholics do the exact same things it's not unique to uh josiah here but it's not true
2: that saint basil says are just as authoritative as anything found in scripture
1: whoa whoa that is not a good there's not a good way for him to end it's just as authoritative as what's in scripture so he says,
0: well, that's his. That's a position. Well, right? I understand it,
1: and also that's what the church, the Orthodox Church, will claim. Oh my goodness, that is not good, because again, remember that picture. Catholics say tradition, scripture. Orthodox, tradition, scripture inside.
0: So, we refute it. We don't think you should engage with Eastern Orthodox this way. As we always say on this podcast, the way we would recommend engaging with unbelievers and with people who deny the gospel is going towards the thing they care about the most and then immediately directing it towards the gospel. So, the gospel, of course, is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory, the glory of God, as Romans 3, that since our father Adam sinned, whether you know the law and willingly rebel against it or you don't know the law and unwillingly rebel against it, you are destined for death. And so the only way to salvation, the only way not to be destined to death is to have your sin, your, your rebellion against God paid for. And the only payment for sin is death. Therefore, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die the death that men was due. And he himself didn't have to pay this punishment because he had not sinned. So he was able to die on the behalf of others. and He died for a particular set of people, paying all of their sins. And those who come to him, who repent and turn away from sin, are made new. Their heart is made flesh instead of stone. Their mind is restored and conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And they will be raised again with him in the new life. So, come Anybody who has sinned and sees their need for Jesus, come and repent, turn from your sin. and He is the only way to salvation. If you turn to your works and Jesus, you will be lost. If you turn to circumcision and Jesus, you will be lost. Don't go to law, Now we agree law is good, but don't go to law to save you. Go to Jesus Christ. He is the only way to salvation, the way, the truth, the life, as he says. So That's the call to all Christians, Eastern Orthodox who reject the gospel, or atheist, or Muslim, whoever you are, that is the call you need to come to saving faith.
1: Amen. We would suggest, though, in preparation to speaking with an Eastern Orthodox, as well as preparing the gospel, you're going to have to get used to some lingo because they have words and terms in Greek. So if you're studying Greek, good for you. It's going to come in handy when you speak to these people, even if they're Russian Orthodox. But you're going to have to get used to a lot of verbiage. For example, when you're going to talk about the atonement of the cross, they're going to be scratching their heads, maybe lost so nowadays, because they really don't focus on the atonement. So... Just you're gonna have to do some preparation.
0: Because they deny the gospel,
1: just yeah clear. Yes, and they also say that salvation takes over time. Rather, us we would say it occurred at the cross the moment Jesus died, right. suffered the wrath of God on him. So they don't they also don't believe in original sin, as the way we do. They mean this more like original oopsie or like fall, you know? Yep. More like oopsie. Hence you need healing, you need that progression through the liturgy and whatnot. So you just have to get a little bit of preparation, understand where they're coming from, and then use their obsession with tradition, unhealthy obsession with tradition, to bring them to the gospel. My advice, get comfortable with a little bit of church history, because there are many great people from the Eastern Orthodox Church, like the Cappadocian Fathers, Basil, the greatest one of them, Gregory of Nassiansen, I quote him a couple of times already in this podcast on the Trinity, they have good things, recognize, acknowledge, I would say acknowledge the good things, now point them. Here is what you need, my mm-hmm. friend. You need the full atonement of Christ. It's not through the liturgy. It's not through intercession with icons through the saints. It's fully on Christ alone. And you do not have to beat yourself over the back. You don't have to rely solely on the intercession of a priest through the liturgy. It's solely on Jesus. And you will have peace forever and ever. And to
0: those God. yeah, and to those who are um attracted to Eastern Orthodoxy because of its um, strong position against society. You do not have to be suddenly some cutboy Protestant who is all pro-gay marriage and doesn't want to get married and whatever else, and those are just marriage things, but all the like liberal Protestant church stuff. You do not have to be an Andy Stanley follower or Hillsong worshiper or, or Westworld Baptist church or any of the ugly scenes you might see or the wimpy scenes you might see from Protestantism. There are good, conservative, family-loving, bearded, Protestant churches, right, you can find manly niches like that if that's what you're looking for, or traditional churches if that's what you're looking for in the Protestant tradition, Um, but it is a godly tradition, and it has the gospel in it, as varied as it can be from the Andy Stanley churches to to the Westboro Baptist church. Some of the uh, the Westboro Baptist church also rejects the gospel, so not them, but (laughs) but like Andy Stanley church, I disagree with it, but um, it still has real Christians in it, so equally. Um, You can find that kind of manly countercultural mission in the Protestant church. You don't have to go to Eastern Orthodoxy, which is heresy. So uh, to Austin, to Gospel Simplicity, I'd love to hear your response. And if you have a defense for why you talk to these other faiths, if you have a defense for Orthodoxy being Christianity, I remember when I first started this channel Um, I also was wondering what it would take for the church to combine, but after careful research on Catholicism, on Eastern Orthodoxy, and some of the other churches, I understand why those church traditions really are dead churches. And so I refute them. I would encourage you to look it up and figure out what your dividing lines are for faith. And if it's just um, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity Dividing Lines, I actually think you're wrong. As popular as that book is, I would not hold to it as dogma. Um, until then, that's why we found our causes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. I've been Michael DeVay at Behind the Machine. To my right your left has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thanks for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That's audio only, though. If you want to see our video episodes and see our lovely faces and Austin and this other gentleman's face, you can go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause, or you can go to YouTube and search us up foundcause there. So until next time, when we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.